The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. I'm Maura Ahrens-Mealy, and this is The Anxious Achiever. We look at stories from business leaders who've dealt with anxiety, depression, or other mental health challenges, how they fell down, how they pick themselves up, and how they hope work will change in the future. Today's guest started out her career not necessarily thinking she'd get into politics. Right out of law school, she began working with a small law firm. In 2002, she was sworn in as a part-time magistrate judge. But after a handful of years, she stopped feeling challenged in that job and started feeling pretty complacent. Keisha Lance Bottoms decided to throw her hat in the ring in a packed race for another judgeship in Fulton County, the county in Georgia that includes Atlanta. She and others were challenging an incumbent, and she went to work all around that county getting to know the communities within it. She ultimately lost that race. But she didn't give up. I had this, what would you do if you weren't afraid to fail moment. In so many ways, I was embarrassed. I was disappointed when I ran for the judgeship. And I remember my husband saying, at the core of it all, you want to make our community better. What better place to do it than from city council? And so I made the decision that week um, to run for city council within a matter of probably a day and a half, two days And there were maybe eight other people in the race at that time because I had just run this race the year before and lost. There was so much at stake, but I knew how to run a better campaign. And I beat all of those people without a runoff, which was also unheard of. And uh, that is how I joined city council. And and then ultimately uh, I ran for mayor and won. Mayor Bottoms took over as mayor of Atlanta in 2018 and thus oversaw the city through the turmoil of the COVID pandemic and during a national debate over race and policing in the United States. And then, in another rare move, she announced she would walk away and not seek re-election. I started by asking her why she did first want to become mayor. It was really interesting because I think other people saw it in me long before I did. And I'll put my husband at the top of that list. I remember him saying to me, you could one day be mayor and going, I don't want to be mayor. Um, I don't have any interest in running for mayor. And at some point, others began to say it to me and I began to think about it. And and it was more of an evolution. Mm-hmm. It was, can I do that? Do I want to do that? You know, there's always an assumption with, with city council members that everybody wants to be the mayor right. in Atlanta anyway. We have a, it's called a strong mayor, weak council system. So the, the power rests in the mayor's office. But I was not wooed by the power. I really, truly just wanted to make improvements in my community. Mm-hmm. I did not want to run for city council again. 
I knew the day after I was sworn in for my second term, that was going to be my last term. I felt I had I'd done a lot as a representative, but I, I felt it was time for, for someone else to give some fresh leadership. I had no desire to stay there for 32 years like my predecessor. <laughs> I thought eight years was enough. But I also knew if I wanted to do more and there was so much more to be done that the position to do it from would be from the seat of mayor. And at some point in my tenure as mayor, I was the executive director of the Atlanta Fulton County Recreation Authority. I'm sorry, my tenure as as a council member. Oh, got it. And that authority owned Turner Field. The Braves had announced they were leaving, or City of Atlanta owned Turner Field, but we we oversaw Turner Field, and I was charged with facilitating the sale of an empty stadium. And at the beginning of that endeavor, the community was mad. There had been so many promises made, promises that had not been kept. There was a lot of distrust and. And it was just awful. It was as mm. bad as it could be. And then on the other part of it, you were trying to facilitate a multi-million dollar transaction to sell an empty stadium. And by the time we were done with that process, the last community meeting I walked in, the people clapped. And wow. at some point in that process, I remember thinking, if I can sell a stadium, I can be mayor. Because I walked in <laughs> not knowing how to get it done and there not being a blueprint for getting it done. And we were able to get it done in a way that not only made financial sense, but we were able to get a grocery store in this food desert. We were able to demand an allotment of of affordable housing and some other things that would benefit the community. It's funny, you've mentioned a couple of times that you you knew when you had either outgrown a job or when it was time to move on. How do you know when it's time to leave? For me, I know what I know when I know it. <laughs> and one of the biggest arguments I ever had with my husband was my indecisiveness about running for mayor. Mm. He's a planner, you know, very, very forward thinking. And I remember him saying, well, what are you waiting on? And I said, I will know when I know. And he said, you only, you know, you can't get time back. There are other people getting in and, and it's going to be very difficult if you wait. I said, I, I don't know yet. I said, I have to know that I know. Um, and it's difficult to describe. I, it's, it's that inner voice that speaks to me. And I know when I try and force decisions, um, but I also know the peace of being firm in the decisions that I make. And it's very difficult to articulate. I I couldn't articulate it to my husband. So I know that it'll (laughs) be very difficult for me to explain it. Um, But I remember the moment and, and I set these deadlines on, okay, by this date, you've got to make a decision. And I still felt very unsettled Mm. about running for mayor And I remember sitting in church one Sunday and at the end of the service, I knew. And I was so shaken to my core that in that moment that it was so 
clear to me that I probably sat in my seat for 30 minutes after church was over. Wow. I think in many ways, I, I knew that I was embarking upon something that was going to change my life and the, and, and the lives of my kids and my family. But also it was a, a question that I had been tossing around for a really long time, over a year. And to have had the certainty in that moment, the way that I did, uh, was astonishing to me. What are you most proud of from your tenure as the mayor of Atlanta? There are these moments that the public never gets to see that really have made me most proud as mayor. There have been the big things, how we responded to the pandemic, how we were able to provide for our communities, the largest real estate transaction in the history of the city and being able to deliver tangible things like affordable housing and and a, a workforce training program and all these great things you want to deliver, the things that you get to read about in the newspaper. Yeah. But those moments that have made me most proud are those moments that people don't ever get to see and, and, and two come to mind. Uh, one, when we negotiated this very large real estate transaction redevelopment mm-hmm. in the city, um, we did a series of things to benefit the community. And um, a part of, of this was being able to set up a workforce training program for some young men in the city. And uh, as a part of this, we also gave them debit cards, $200 a month, I believe was the amount. And we had one of the young men and his family come down the city hall and uh, the grandmother came up to me and she said, I am, you know, my grandson is so grateful she said, uh, and he, when he got his debit card, he said, Grandmama, maybe we can buy a turkey this year for Thanksgiving. Mm. And she said, because last year we had hot dogs. Mm. To know that as mayor, I was able to lead something that made a difference between a family mm-hmm. having food on their table. Um, those are the moments that make me most proud and Nobody ever sees that. Nobody sees it on the news. They don't read it in the newspaper. But those are the moments that I'm most proud of. Wow. You have said about your time as mayor, I'm going to read a quote. When I go to sleep, my brain doesn't shut off now. It's been difficult for me to sleep because I wake up during the night thinking about issues, about the folks who are going to be out of work and missing paychecks. I'm curious how the emotional burden affected you? And was that a surprise for you, even after all your time on the city council? It was. And I I said this to our new mayor. I said, uh, the only thing that you now have in in common with city council is that you park in the same garage. (laughs) When you walk into the mayor's office, you, you will see this is a very different job. As a member of the executive branch and compared to the legislative branch, the legislative branch, you get a, you have the luxury of doing a, a second guessing a mm. lot. And you also have a whole team of colleagues working alongside you. Um, as mayor, it's you. Yeah. 
It's all on you. Every decision, good, bad, and indifferent, rests with you. And one of the most significant moments I had was after I made the announcement that I was not running, Mm -hmm. I realized that I was dreaming again. And I didn't know that I had stopped until I started dreaming again. And I remember waking up one morning going, I had a dream last night. And those are the moments that you realize the the mental and emotional toll that you don't even recognize that you are experiencing. You know, there were I developed back issues and I tore my meniscus and um, I was dealing with chronic inflammation and just a lot of things that I'd never dealt with before. And I thought, oh, this must have everything to do with aging. But I think so much of it was internalizing stress. Yeah, of course. And my body's physical response to stress and to then wake up and realize that you are dreaming again was this red flag of the mental and emotional toll that it, it, that serving had also taken. And I was just looking at one of my favorite quotes from Audre Lorde. Caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation. And that is an act of political warfare. Mm. So as a mother of, of four kids, a wife, a daughter, I am very much accustomed to seeing about others mm-hmm. and putting myself on the back burner. And as, as mayor, you get even further on the back burner if the back burner even gets turned on. And after I made the announcement not to run, I would have people say to me that my voice sounded differently. I had about 10 people tell me that. So I knew it was something real. And my mother said to me, I was telling her that, telling her that people keep telling me my voice sounds differently. She says, your voice is lighter. When I, she said, there was a heaviness to your voice. So these things that you aren't even aware of, um, you know, it's a big job. It's a big responsibility. And it takes its toll on on you. And I think that's the reason that you see people across the country in the midst of this pandemic really evaluating life and and how they want to give their energy, where they are most effective giving their energy, and also um, recognizing just how fleeting life is and how important it is for us to see about ourselves so that we can be our best selves to go and see about others. Mm. You said in an interview that your assessment is not any different than Simone Biles or Naomi Osaka or Calvin Ridley's, any number of other people who've said, I am putting my emotional and mental health first. Why is it a radical act in our society to put emotional and mental health first? We're not used to leaders acknowledging weakness. Right. And for me, it was, you know, this checklist. Can I run for again? I run, run for mayor again? Yes. Would I win? Yes. Can I be a good leader for the next four years? Yes. 
Um, but also on the other side was who says I have to run again? <laughs> who am I satisfying? Why am I running again? Is this for ego? Is this because everyone else does it? There's a reason there are four-year terms. Voters get to decide at the end of four years. I get to decide at the end of four years. And I'm okay saying this was a great season. I gave it absolutely all that I had to give. And the next four years, I choose not to be the mayor of Atlanta. And that uh, that's very uncommon for elected officials to walk away on their terms. For me, I always looked at it as this would be an eight-year endeavor. We are term limited. So either at the end of four years, the voters will, will boot me out or I'll walk out. Right. Or at the end of eight years, I'll walk out. There's a time certain on this. Um, but do you, do you do it? What do I always say to my kids? Just because you can doesn't mean that you should. <laughs> and that was where I landed um, in my evaluation. Just because I can't be mayor of, again, uh, mayor of Atlanta again doesn't necessarily mean that I should be mayor of Atlanta again. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors, I'm Laura Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast. Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. Were you worried? I mean... I would assume that along the way, building a political career, you build a lot of supporters, you have donors, you have people who have have stood up for you. Did you feel at any moment that you were letting them down? I absolutely felt that I, I felt I was letting everyone down, that people mm. would be so disappointed. And I was concerned that they would think that I was a quitter. I didn't want people to think that I had that I duped them or misled them. Mm -hmm. So again, uh, I, the president had his first political fundraiser for me. Yep. And it's the reason after I made the decision not to run, I did something that many people advised me not to do. I sent out um, a message to all of my donors offering to give them their money back. Wow. I didn't have to give it back. And people told me I would be crazy to offer people their money back. But they gave to me expecting that I would run for mayor of Atlanta again. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, I, it didn't feel right for me um, to have presented myself as a candidate, then make the decision not to run and, and keep the investment that people had put, in, put toward me. So for many people, 
they said, no, you, you keep the donation. Mm-hmm. Um, and others asked for their donations back. So I, I don't believe in doing things the normal way. <laughs> and it has always served me well. And it also didn't mean that I won't ever run for office again. Yeah. But it meant for me that I made the best decision for me to put a period at the end of my term as mayor. And it may be that in a few months or a few years, I decide I want to run for office again, or I may decide I don't, know, I don't ever want to do it again. But at, just as I knew it was time to leave as a magistrate judge, that's a, just as I've made that decision um, any number of other times in my life, I knew that it was time for this season um, to end as mayor. And I'm very proud of what I did as mayor, and it makes me very proud as a mother um, to show my daughter especially that it's okay to choose you mm-hmm. and to choose to do something that's out of the ordinary as long as you know that it's the right decision for you. I'm curious if you consider yourself an anxious person. Yes, I do. I, I have to work at settle, settling myself down. Um, it can serve you. I always say when it's, when it's used for good, it's great. But yep. when, it's, <laughs> when it's not, it's not. I, I do have ADHD. And really? with that comes, I, I absolutely do. And um, I, I recognize that with that, there are layers to that. It can make you very anxious for things to happen very quickly. Um, I've learned over time how to manage it. I've, I recognize, I remember sitting on the plane reading the symptoms. I thought, well, okay, yep, I have all of these. Um, <laughs> that's me. So yes, I, I can get, I can become very anxious, but I, I also probably have an equal amount of patience. And I'm very thankful that I'm, I am wired and I have learned how to balance it. How does your anxiety though serve you given that you have four kids and had a really, have a really high pressure? I mean, I'm curious, like, how have you learned to put it to work for you? Well, it served me well when there are things that we really shouldn't wait to make change on, mm-hmm. when there are things that need to happen, when there are things that I need to lead on and I need to get it done. I, I don't let my foot off of the gas. Now, I can tell you from my team, it can be maddening, but it can also be very productive. And on the other side of it, I will have people say, you know, I thought you were completely insane in the middle of this, but glad we got it done. Yeah. So in that regard, it, it has served me well, but it also, again, the flip to it, sometimes I can't unplug. I can't yeah. turn it off. And I've had those moments. And um, an example was selling Turner Field. Mm. I couldn't sleep at night. I would get up at three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, and I would send emails and I would start working. And it, (sighs) it can be very healthy in spurts, but it can be very unhealthy if it is long-term because we need to sleep. We need to recharge. We need to turn off. So that's always been the challenge for me 
is creating that balance Mm -hmm. where I can work hard, I can give it all, um, but also learning to stop and rest. That's, That's a perennial challenge for me. Even with my transition as mayor, I spent one week cleaning out closets and cleaning out rooms. And I was supposed to take off the month of January. And by that second week, I was back at my desk all day working (laughs) because I I don't know how not to work. So I'm I'm a work in progress. How, How has leaving changed how you think about your own mental health? I guess, how has being mayor and then deciding not to run again changed how you think about your own mental health? It has shown me um, how important mental health is. Mm. I saw a picture of me and I looked at the picture and I thought, I remember her. And I haven't seen her in a very long time. There was a look of relief. There was a look of happiness, um, relaxation that I haven't seen on my face in years. And my, my word of the year is probably capacity. So because I am very good at getting a lot of things done, doesn't mean that it's healthy. It doesn't, just because I can manage 10 things on my plate, doesn't mean that I really shouldn't just have three things on my plate. And also for us to be the best of who we are and, and who we show up to be, we have to have balance because something has to uh, something has to give we all have a finite amount of emotional mental and physical capacity now it may seem infinite but it's really not uh there are things and i gave the example of of dreaming again clearly um i was using up some bandwidth even while i was sleeping um in some other areas because i was no longer dreaming when I look at a picture of myself physically and I, I think about the inflammation and these chronic issues I've had over the last few years and, and suddenly I'm no longer suffering from inflammation in the course of a month, I had started getting lymphatic massages and I thought it had something to do with COVID. I thought maybe this was inflammation um, related to my having had COVID. I'd got on the plane one day, woke up the next morning, my face was the size of a basketball. I've been to every specialist, all the blood work, nobody could find anything. Um, So someone referred a person who does lymphatic massages and she came to me a couple of weeks after I was no longer mayor and she was astonished at the physical change in my body that in two weeks, these little trouble areas that she was she had been working on <laughs> that suddenly my lymphatic system was working again. Wow. And again, when you look at the pandemic and you look at the underlying health conditions that have made COVID worse for people, high blood pressure, uh, diabetes, Obesity, all of these chronic conditions we're often finding in communities of color, lower income communities where stress levels are often high. People are are working longer hours. They're making 
low wages. They're, they're, they are carrying a lot of responsibility for family, community, etc. All of this is related to stress. I was uh, talking with someone about blood pressure today. I never had a high blood pressure reading in my life. And I remember waking up with a horrible headache and going to the doctor and my blood pressure was elevated. It is the physical, mental, emotional part of, of who we are. It, it all comes together. For me, it was as mayor seeing this manifest itself over four years, but there are a lot of people with a whole lot more stress than I had as mayor. They don't have someone driving them around every day and they don't have a team of people working with them to make their lives easier. And I saw the impact that it was having on me. And so it was very clear to me why our communities have been suffering with these systemic health issues um, that have been made even worse during the course of this pandemic. I want to close out here by getting really nitty gritty. I would imagine um, most listeners are not quitting a job running one of the most powerful largest cities in, in the U.S. However, a lot of people right now are feeling the way that you described and feeling, I need to leave, but they're scared to leave. How did you make the decision to leave and who did you counsel as you were, I, I imagine it wasn't a decision you took lightly. What was your process? A lot of prayer, a lot of discussions with my husband and people who are close to me. Mm. And uh, I, I feel like I'm picking on my husband here, but I remember <laughs> at one point he said to me, I'm, I'm not going to have this discussion with you again. <laughs> you, you tell me what you decide and I'm going to be happy with whatever you decide. And it was, for me, again, these evaluation moments. And I've said, people call the past couple of years a great resignation. I call it the great reevaluation. Um, my dad died suddenly at the age of 55 in his sleep. He died from heart disease. So when I turned 50, and I was 24 when my dad died, but you know, thinking my dad had five more years of life of life when he turned 50. And my fifth, my 51st birthday thinking if I had four more years on this earth, would I want to spend them as mayor? Or is there something else that I would rather do? And the answer was there was something else I would rather do. I didn't know what that something else was. So for me, it was this marker of my dad died at 55. It's a very young age to die of heart disease. He wasn't overweight. My dad never weighed more than 143 pounds in his entire life. But knowing, you know, that for me, the physical, emotional, mental toll could be deadly if left unchecked, but, but also what about my happiness? You don't run for office to be happy, but you certainly don't run for office to be miserable. And I think at the last, we had my four years as mayor, 
been different. You know, there were we dealt with a lot. <laughs> it was a, a rough as time. A, yeah, globally. Um, but then there were a lot of other things. Even before the pandemic, there was a cyber attack in Atlanta that took down our network. It was the biggest cyber attack in the history of any city in America. We were down for months. There was a federal investigation into the previous administration that was just a cloud over City Hall. People were waking up with FBI agents knocking on their doors at 10 o'clock at night. I mean, it was a very stressful time. Um, And then that was even before the pandemic. (laughs) So I, I can't say that there were a lot of moments that I could, as mayor, that I just felt really, really happy. Um, but I felt very effective and I felt as if I, that I was doing a great job, but in that equation, I was nowhere in that equation. I almost at times, I mean, public service is a sacrifice, but I felt like I was sacrificing myself at times. What's in your wellness toolkit going forward? What's in your mental and physical wellness toolkit? Sleeping more, Um, being intentional about getting rest, Mm -hmm. being intentional about exercising. I used to be a runner and I tore my meniscus and then I had a herniated disc and kind of drawn this line in the sand. If I can't run, then I won't walk. And in the middle of the pandemic, I started walking again and I enjoyed it so much. Not the physical part of walking, it was the emotional and mental part because I would feel those endorphins release. Yeah. And I didn't know I could get that from, from walking because I, in many ways I felt like a failure. I can't run. Mm. Then, Oh gosh, a wa- walking really. <laughs> You're such <laughs> <And> an achiever. <laughs> like I'm such an achiever. <laughs> and to feel that same release that I used to get from running was eye-opening. So sleeping more, exercise, um, and also just eating better mm. and, and being thoughtful of eating at all. Because there were times, many, many days, uh, it's, you know, your headache kicks, kicks in at four o'clock in the afternoon and you're trying to figure out why do you, why do I have such a bad headache? Realizing, oh, because you ate a banana on the way in this morning and you hadn't <laughs> eaten again. Um, and I remember you asked about my anxiety. When I was running for mayor, I would get so anxious sometimes. And I, there were times I had panic attacks before I would speak. And I'd never experienced that in my life. And I figured out at some point Tylenol would help settle me down. So I would take two, four, six Tylenol a day. Wow. And I remember my mother saying, seeing me take it one day and said, you're, you're going to destroy your liver. Mm -hmm. I thought, really? I didn't know that. And it had gotten to the point when I would get in the car with my executive protection detail, they would look in the rear view mirror. They press the button, the little, uh, 
thing would come up on the console and they kept Tylenol in the car and they would just hand me the bottle. Uh. <laughs> um, and so I had to wean myself off of Tylenol. Mm. Um, I was self-medicating with extra strength Tylenol <laughs> in an unhealthy way. Uh, and so, you know, again, just being thoughtful that thoughtful about that I'm human and also I, I am weak. I can be, I too can have physical weakness, emotional weakness, mental <laughs> moments of mental weakness that I'm, I'm not immune from that. And just being thoughtful of not allowing myself to get to that point of get again without dialing back. And I was very proud of myself this week. I am um, programmed to say yes. And I was counting up the number of hours last week that I either on a Zoom or I was doing something for, for someone else. And I counted over 10 hours. That's a lot for things that are important to other people. So someone sent me an email about something. They said, it won't take long if you can just do X, Y, Z. And I said, no, I'm sorry, I can't. And that was such a significant moment for me because prior to my sitting down, counting up those hours, I would have said yes, because it was important to someone else. And I chose me and I was very proud of that. That's it for today's show. The Anxious Achiever is produced and edited by Mary Dew. Our assistant producer and sound engineer is Nick Krenko. Many thanks to all our guests for sharing their stories with us. On an upcoming show, we'll be looking deeper at imposter syndrome and how it affects your mental health. To share your story about imposter syndrome, send us a voice memo or video to anxiousachievermail at gmail.com. You can tweet me at moraam or reach me on LinkedIn. Send me a message. I promise I'll respond. If you love the show, tell your friends, subscribe, and leave a review. From LinkedIn, this is Maura Aarons-Mealing.